Hey, welcome everyone. This is Dan with Spiritual Underground Podcast. Back out in the wood shop again. Uh, I really do prefer these face-to-face podcasts whenever possible, but uh, sometimes my guests are not local, so that is not an option. And uh, I believe everybody's story has uh, immense value. And um, frankly, I don't pick whose story gets told. Uh, I allow this power that's been working in my life to pick the stories. Uh, 12-Step Spiritual Recovery is a book by James Christopher Cohn. It is available on Amazon. I'll say it again. 12-Step Spiritual Recovery by James Christopher Cohn. It is the great compendium, the magnum opus of the 12 steps. It's a deeper dive for those who might already be in a 12-step fellowship. It is uh, geared towards people who would not traditionally fit in a 12-step fellowship. And it's also for those that maybe... um, Maybe the methodology used when you were taken through the steps didn't work for you. Uh, I say didn't work in air quotes. Uh, And maybe this methodology would work for you. So I also found one other thing is uh, talking to somebody the other day and they said, well, you know, AA is just not for me. And I was talking about the 12-step tools and I said, you know, you can come to this group that is not AA but still offers the same tools. Uh, this particular person has a block and a, a something up against AA itself. And, uh, you know, we can sidestep that. We don't have to be doing 12 steps through AA. Uh, Bill Wilson believes that God gave him the 12 steps for everyone. And that is exactly what TSSS, TSSR is, is uh, the steps for everyone. We have a couple meetings, Zoom meetings. Anybody's interested in that, uh, please Give me a holler. There's a women's only meeting on Tuesday nights and a uh, co-ed meeting on Thursday nights. My little handyman woodworking business, DTM, woodworking handyman. Um, if you need anything like that here in the Louisville metropolitan area, uh, you can contact me. I've been put my phone number on here. I'll just do it again. You, I've got plenty of emails to find me through the Spiritual Underground or find me through Facebook. There's a website. Um, a website, a Facebook page, and an Instagram for DTM Woodwork. And 502-292-7444 if you need some work of that nature uh, here around Louisville. So let's see. And Darren Frank's music wraps around this podcast. Uh, give him credit. He's uh, looking like uh, he's going to be going home soon. And I think it's been over two years that he's been at this physical rehab place. And uh, I'm sure he's super anxious to to get that done. He had uh, contacted me about doing a little work at his house. So I may be there this week doing a couple little things for his uh, planned arrival back home. Uh, so we get to do this thing called TSSR, speaking of. And... Um, I don't think I, this, I'm pretty sure this will be the first guest that's just a solid TSSR person. Uh, they've done some 12 steps in other areas, but, but when, when I say that, I mean, uh, most people I bump into and, uh, and most people that's been on podcasts come from some kind of a substance abuse background. And my guest today does not. So that's what I mean about like a pure TSSR kind of background. It's just somebody who was looking for some more and some better and some new operating principles in their lives. And, uh, and stumbled into TSSR, and that story will play out exactly how that happened. But um, so I will, you know, I was in, a, we started those TSSR meetings, and we were downtown at a church in downtown Louisville. And uh, I knew that a friend of mine's spouse was interested. I'd been, little birdie told me that at some level. And, uh, and of course, uh, her, her spouse is Marshall. 
And uh, he's been on the podcast a couple times, once for uh, his telling his story and once uh, during his nicotine quitting adventures. And, um, you know, the, the, that TSSR thing, if you can picture me holding uh, Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book while I proclaim I wish everybody had this program while at the same time holding the book behind my back, uh, kind of keeping it from people and TSSR has brought it back out to the front and it actually is giving the giving these tools to anyone who wishes to try them and uh, my guest April today uh, is one of those and um, real early on she she come in and uh, was hanging around and I loved her spirit um, you could see that she was hungry for some more and um, there was also a thing where in the beginning we just didn't have very many like sponsored qualified people to uh, to do to take people through, and we especially didn't have females. And uh, you know, we have a little there's a little tradition in the AA twelve steps that male sponsor males and female sponsor females, and for obvious reasons we can understand why that is. Uh, but April, one day after a meeting, walked up and wanted to talk to me and express an interest in me sponsoring her. And uh, there's a lot of the times that that happens, I instantly like question why me in a way, um, and I and I instantly doubt my abilities to do that. I'll start setting up in my head reasons why this won't work. Uh, Marshall's a really good friend. How can I sponsor his wife? Um, she's a female. How can I do that? Uh, and just set that stuff up. But you know, just similar to the way I don't really feel that I pick podcast guests. Uh, I don't think I pick my sponsees either. I think they're sent, and it's not really for me to decide who gets that help and who doesn't. And uh, so somebody somebody comes up and asks me, man, my gut reaction is to say yes, and we headed down this path. And uh, so speaking of that, that's, a, you know, without a real sobriety date, and that's another thing, and I don't mean real, but, you know, a, a traditional sobriety date, um, TSSR, you know, I encourage people to grab a date, you know, who cares? Just pick one, you know, so that you can kind of celebrate this piece of time. And you can also kind of look back and know how many years you've been on the path and see the progress that, that develops with uh, a continual practice of these principles. So April knows her so-called sobriety date. What, when was it? July 6, 2019. July 6, 2019. Well, that was a, that's and you know to me that I, I express that should be an important day in somebody's life, especially with the changes you've had. You know, I mean, it's a turning point in one's life and worth bookmarking and celebrating. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Good. April been sitting here for an hour and a half, or we ate some lunch, fixed some uh, tomato soup and some grilled cheese sandwiches, and then we. Uh, did a little work on 10, 11, and 12, and uh, now she's officially uh, been through the 12 steps with a sponsor. She also has another milestone I'll let come up on it after a while, but uh, has really done the deal, and it shows in her life, and you can see it. Anybody who's paying attention will be able to see it for sure, and uh, that's what the story we're here to tell, and that's why I say kind of like this may be, and, and I'd have to go back and look, and I'm not sure it's worth doing that, but I'm pretty certain that this is the first uh, pure TSSR uh, podcast from a person who is, uh, in air quotes once again, graduated. Uh, we don't graduate from this, and uh, but there is that uh, awesome 
moment that like you know you get you've done the steps you know and that i think as i was telling earlier you know i think that's something to celebrate also that you know hey i get to put this check mark on here you know we do this that we read that part today out of a book it said we continue this for a lifetime so uh we will do the steps again and and we continue to practice this stuff but that first one through it's just like when you're getting sober that first one is momentous and uh that's just really cool so where'd you grow where let's get back to the beginning and uh talk about where you grew up and how your family life was and we'll just go from there all right um see i was born in 1973 in a army hospital in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And from there, we went to Permisens, Germany. I lived the first three years of my life there. Do you remember any of that? I do a little. I remember actually going to, like, um, preschool, like, uh, scenery, and doing activities with a lot of other children. Um, my father was in the Army. Doesn't make sense that we can remember that. I remember we moved into this house when I was three. Yeah. And I can remember living in the house prior to this, or I seem to be able to remember living in there. You know, when I was before three years old, I have some memory. So that's why I was curious if you could remember that, too. I do a little, yeah. Um, I do remember uh, that time that I found my love of music. Um, I remember. That was, young? Huh? When you were that young? Yeah, I do. Um, and actually, I remember that before my mom showed me pictures. And there's actually a picture of me when I was like three years old wearing headsets that were like bigger than my head. Oh, yeah. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. So um, I remember my dad, my dad was really into music. So, um, yeah, he always, we always had the radio on. I do remember that too. The mm. radio was always on music all was the time. Playing. Yeah. Um, and then when I was three, about maybe three and a half, my parents divorced. And I actually went with my father. I have a, uh, a half-brother um, who was from my mother's first marriage. And he was with us. And um, so he was three, he's three years older than me. Hmm. And um, my parents divorced because my father's an alcoholic. And um, he, mom, I think she said he wasn't really bad at the time. But I remember because my dad was a very nurturing, loving person like all the time you mm. know or whether he was drinking or not he seemed to be more nurturing when he was drinking huh. so um but i stayed with him and he met a woman uh my stepmom who became my stepmom and uh, she didn't want me there she didn't want me in her life and um she made it very hard for me and my mother met another man um, who became my stepfather, and he didn't want me there either. Mm. And, um, you know, my mom actually fought my stepfather to take me because my stepmother told me that if my mother doesn't take me back, I'm going into an orphanage wow. because she doesn't want me there. That's she, horrible. Yeah, you she made it. You talk about what kind of impact that can have, you know I mean? Well, she, and yeah, she she's just like, you know, I I found out later that she had miscarried um, after her first child. She had miscarried and it was going to be a girl. And I was still living with them at that time. Mm. And um, 
my half brother actually told me that he, she always had resentment and showed it very much, you know, during that time. So that's probably one of the reasons. I don't know. I don't. I haven't talked to her yeah. since I was sixteen. Well, so it's a core need to, or a, it's a core thing that we want to be, you know, wanted and needed, right? Yeah. And when uh, at that kind of age, to start already having to confront the fact that there's these humans that don't want me, that's yeah. crushing. Yeah, it was it was really hard for me, you know. I mean, she, I can remember her being just really mean to me and like she smacked me around. And um, I remember one time, like they both smoked heavily, and uh, they sent me to the store. I had a little um, uh, Raggedy Ann purse that my mom made me, and uh, and I fell down the hill because it was this big steep hill from their apartment complex, and the store was across the street. And I fell down the hill, and I lost the change. Mm. It fell out of my purse, and it was like I had to go back and tell them. They're like, you you know, and she's like, you're not coming back to this house until you go find that money. You need to go get us cigarettes. Because they were counting their change to go for cigarettes. cigarettes. You know, and I mean, I found it all. Did you? Yes, I was just like, oh, please, God. I mean, at that time, it was such a young age. I think it must have been like four, maybe. Wow. And four or five. And um, I mean, they sent me with a note. I remember it was a note, but I lost all the change. I was just like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) So I went back and... I was just like, yay, and I brought the cigarettes, and she sent me to my room for the day. <laughs> mm. You know, you did what you were supposed to. You were yeah. still in trouble. Yeah, exactly. So, And that kind of started like a down spiral. Um, they both worked. Um, my father was home a lot in the evenings. I think she worked in the evenings, and he worked during the day. Mm. So he was drinking the entire time he was home with me. And like age four or five, there were several times that I wake, wake up, in the middle of the night in, in an empty apartment and just I actually went to the bar once and said dad can you come home you know I mean at that age I was like dad come home I mean he was like stammering and I had to help him get up a few times to get up to the because we lived on the it was like a steps to the our apartment just mm. one set of steps to yeah. the apartment and uh, yeah and he would leave me with um, the neighbor who was like you walk up the stairs and there's like two doors facing you and then there's two on the side. So there's four four apartments in that one area and she lived right next to us. Mm. And um, and that was the first time that I was sexually abused was by my babysitter in that apartment. Mm. And um, I, don't, I don't, I never told anybody about that. Um, yeah, how do you talk about that as a kid? I mean, I didn't know it was wrong then. Yeah. I, you know, I just, I remember I think it. there's some kind of core thing in this, though. There's some shame wrapped up around that that prevents it. So, you know, you say you don't know it was wrong. Uh, you knew something was up about it because you kept it to yourself. Well, and I, I, it's just, it's crazy the things that you remember in detail, you know, and it's just something I remember in detail. And it's if just you'd like, have been oh. at the basketball court and you hit a three-pointer, you go home and tell your parents. Right. <laughs> You're not going home and telling them about this. Especially episode. since they're right next door. Yeah. You know. Um, so my mom, my my father and my mother, my stepmother were not getting along very well. And it was because of me. That, that was the reason that they gave. 
And um, my dad called my mom and said, hey, you know, can you take her for a couple weeks while we get this straightened out? Because my mom and my dad were going through uh, custody. Who's going to take me? Hmm. And um, my mom said, no, if she comes and stays with me, she's staying, staying for good. And so he gave me up. Hmm. So my mom fought my stepfather to keep me. And the day I moved in to the day I left, pretty much my life was living hell <laughs> because he didn't want me there. Um, first, like, my stepfather was a gunsmith. He owned his own gun shop. He had lathes and everything and salt tanks and all that stuff in the basement. And, um, you know, I remember, but, like, the I think it was my mom worked in the day, and he would be working from home a lot. This was before he actually had a place of business. Um, I don't think he got the shop until, I don't know, maybe 9 or 10, I think. Yeah, and uh, I don't remember. It could have been sooner, but it's kind of vague. Um, not something I really paid attention to. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't well, important to me. If you listen to these all the time, I uh, talk about that the chronology really doesn't matter. Right. You know, actually, we, we want to think it out, but, you know, from a standpoint of like a listener and stuff they could give a shit about the chronology <laughs> you know, right. exactly when it happened and how old I was yeah so I was I was like five when I moved in with my mom and stepdad and um like the first week uh when my mom was working during the day it was the first time that my stepfather came and you know sexually assaulted me I guess you know um I don't know how to put it, you know, in terms, you know, asking me questions that I had no idea what they were or things were or anything like that. And just like, and he left and I'm sitting there in my bed, like, and I put the covers over my head. You know, I do, I remember this and like, I'm just like, oh my God, I had no idea what I was going to be getting into. I didn't know I was like five. So. Yeah, well, and you, know, you say that, and I don't mean to, like, correct you and stuff, but there's, like, a thing in you, you know, because you pulled the blankets up over your head because you knew you were needing to be sheltered from whatever that was. You didn't know, but you knew. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's that core of that, I think that's that higher self inside or whatever that knows way more than we ever give it credit for. And uh, even though we're, when we're cognitively not old enough to comprehend it, there's still some core spirit uh, in there that that has some idea about that, you know. That's why someone one of the reasons why I kind of subscribe to this old soul, young soul concept of and wonder about some kind of reincarnation and whether if you don't get keep on sending back to take the test over again or whatever, you know. And and I do subscribe to that. I don't like totally, you know, I ain't just totally 100% bought into it. But there's a lot of things like that because you weren't old enough to know that. Right. And I had the same thing when I was having sexual uh, uh, exploration things with a little boy when I was small. Mm -hmm. uh, there was something, you know, I didn't know anything, right? right. I mean, I had not been taught anything so i didn't know k-n-o-w anything yeah but there was something in me that knew that that wasn't right you know and then and today i don't really look at it completely like that but they're still and i'm like you know and then the other thing was it's like as little kids like that how did we know to do what we were doing me and that boy mm -hmm. we didn't i didn't i hadn't seen porno magazines or hadn't i haven't been anywhere where i knew what to do but how did he know you know so there's 
I don't know, innate stuff. It's weird. It's bigger and deeper, but, well, but I, yeah. I, I sidetracked this completely because no, you you're said fine. I didn't. I think what I think if I rephrase it a little bit, you had no idea what was to come. Yeah, I had no idea what was to come because I I remember thinking, you know, I saw my dad, you know, naked, or I saw my stepmom naked. It was just it wasn't <clears> on purpose. Yeah, but stuff they never when did you anything this. Yeah, they never did anything like this to me. I don't understand, you know, and. I mean, it just, I don't know, it just seemed like this, it went in phases, you know, it was very little, you know, up until like, um, I don't know, nine years old, and then it became more, and like, I couldn't, I couldn't go anywhere, I couldn't do anything without asking permission, and when I had to ask permission, it's like, well, you know, you can go there, but you have to do this first, mm. you know, so it's like, I had to perform unfortunately sexual favors to go be a child go play outside you know um and i made my mom aware of it um when i was nine and she's just like well i don't know i don't first she didn't want to believe me of course and then um and then she's like well how do i know if you're telling the truth and i try so well i know where this uh, my you know he has a mole on his penis you know this is where it's at and she was just like oh my god she freaked out and she called my aunt and uncle in kansas and we packed up our shit and we left that was her that was her sister or brother i know my um your your aunt but your mom's my yeah my great aunt i guess well yeah my mother's father's sister okay so you know we went and stayed with them and my mom got a job and she got us a house to rent. And, but the thing is, is that she had to call my stepfather every single day at the same exact time or he was on the line ringing the phone off the hook. Hmm. She, I mean, and finally he like talked her into coming home. But uh, did she tell him why? She, yeah, yeah so he, he lied up, said you down were lying. The, yeah, said I was lying. Said that never happened. I'm lying. I'm fabricating the truth, you know. And and I'm the one that did it to him, you know. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> I'm like nine years old. I haven't even started puberty yet. I'm like, how? What is going on? You know. So, and he came and got us, and packed up the car. He took. I think he took a flight. Yeah, he took a flight to where we were, and my mom went and got him, and we packed up our stuff and we left. Hmm. And um, he made the entire ride home a living hell. I mean, it was awful. Like the worst freaking 16-hour drive I think I'd ever had in my life. And he, yeah, we actually got, because I grew up in Cincinnati. That's where my mom was, um, Price Hill in Cincinnati. And um, I just remember we were like maybe, I don't know, three miles from home and they were just fighting just really bad he gets out of the car and starts walking away and i'm like you and i told my mom i said you really wanted to go home you really wanted to go home with this man we're gonna live the rest of our life with this man and my mom was like just shut up april mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's i was so mad i was so mad you know but um i just had to live with it what was what else was i going to do you know and powerless uh, yeah I was powerless. Truly. Truly. Um, and 
after we got home, it's it just nothing changed. And actually it got worse because he was angry, you know. And it, it was not only uh, sexual abuse, but it was physical abuse, mental abuse, verbal abuse. He was constantly telling me that, you know, I was a piece of shit. I was never going to amount to anything. I was never going to go anywhere or be anybody, you know. And um, my mom would always say, don't listen to him. You know, you can do whatever you want. And I'm just like... Easier said than done. Yeah, you know, I mean, she tried. But the thing is, is like when he was sexually abusing me, it's because, you know, I found out that they were fighting. And he, he was always on me when they he couldn't be with her. You know, and it's just like, it was, it was crazy. Um, and I'm trying to think of, uh, um, oh, I had one, one time I was home. He was working in the basement. He was re-bluing some, some uh, shotguns. And, you know, he takes apart and he puts the barrels down in the salts and stuff, the tanks. Mm-hmm. And, um um, he was working down there, and he calls upstairs to me. He's like, April, make me some coffee. I'm like, okay. Put the kettle on. It was one of those instant, the rectangular coffee, instant coffee thing. What, what are they called? Uh, I can't remember what they're called, but they came in flavors, whatever. And um, so I made him coffee, and I brought it downstairs, and, and I handed it to him. And he threw it at me and burned me because it was hot. He said, this isn't fucking hot enough. You know, and he punched me. And um, he said, you know, he said, get the fuck out of my face. You know, you can't do anything right. You're useless. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) I went upstairs. I went outside. And my uh, friend neighbor came over. She lives next to me. And uh, she's like, what happened to your eye? And I didn't even realize it. I wasn't the type of child that, like, primped and propered and took care of myself and loved myself in the mirror. (laughs) You know, I didn't really... It wasn't important to me, you know, to be that way. I didn't want to bring attention to myself, I guess. Yeah. You know, I realized this later, but, you know, I didn't want to bring attention to myself. And um, so um, and I told her what happened, and she said she, she actually ran, ran back inside. She's like, I'll be right back. She ran inside, and she told her uh, grandma and grandpa, like, she lived with her parents on the first floor, and her grandma and grandpa lived upstairs, and they were home. And she went and told him, and I still played outside, and she came back down. I'm like, where'd you go? And she said, well, I went to tell my grandma and grandpa. And I said, oh, yeah, what'd they say? She said, they can't do anything about it. Golly. And I said, I said, okay, you want to do go play? Yeah. I mean, well, you're just wanting to move into the next whatever, you know, and get that far behind me as I possibly can. I mean, that'd be the reaction to let's uh, let's move to something else, right? Because I had to because yeah. I was Mentally, not allowed you to, sh- to. Well, I was not allowed to show emotion without being told what emotion I could show. Mm. You know, it's like if I cried about something, I get smacked for crying about it. You know, don't cry about it, or you know, if I if I laughed at something, you know, I'd get smacked as did. I didn't tell you you could laugh. Do you think that was funny? How do you think about it now? Was he alcoholic? No, he was not. He was certainly just, spiritually sick. Yes, um, I found out later, like he was uh, abused by his father. Hmm. Um, 
that's no excuse. No, but. it's not. But I mean, that's that's classic TSSR stuff. We are what we get trained to be, and uh, and you know, as much as you'd like to not, you know, accept that to some extent, we're all our own person kind of thing. It doesn't matter right. if you grow up in those environments. It's going to mess you up. Right. Yeah. It does, and I mean, he just he had his routines and. Um, he had, before he and my mother got married, he, he was married previously and he had five children of his own. This man was 16 years older than my mother. Mm. That's another reason why he didn't really want kids. It's because he already had his kids. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he didn't but he abuse, knew what he was signing up for. Yeah, and he didn't, he didn't abuse his kids. <laughs> he didn't touch his kids. Maybe the boys, but never the girls. I mean, I found out later down the road but he never yeah, I was just wondering it. how certain you were of that yeah you know it's just like I, I was told because um you know just by events that went on and I remember the, like the the next time something really bad happened he was very controlling he was a narcissist um he was very controlling my mother couldn't go anywhere or do anything without me or him with her and um like and then my mom was pretty much the same way you know but just because she had to react for his actions you know and um this is like i was constantly i mean i didn't talk much you know because whenever i did i'd get in trouble (laughs) so it's like i wasn't allowed to speak my own voice you know or um i remember i got went down to a neighbor's house because my mom was working and um, I was staying with them while Joe was at home and um, that was my stepfather Joe and uh, I never was allowed to call him dad I had to only call him Joe yeah I could only call him Joe that and that barely called him that (laughs) and um, I was sick I was really sick and I went home and he was just like you know you're gonna ruin my evening you're gonna be sick you're gonna be sick in front of me you know, and I stood in that bathroom, I mean, for hours. And he stood there with me waiting for me to get sick. Hmm, to throw up. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, I, I don't have anything else I haven't eaten. You know, and I started to get shake. I actually packed a salad once. Mm. And he did, he woke me up. He was just like, you can get your ass in bed. You know, and just, I went upstairs and I was out for the night. I'll bet. You know, I, I don't know what I got sick of. I just remember that. And, um, but... Getting back to the controlling part, it's like he wanted everything to be in its place. Like I had to keep my room clean like all the time. It could not for one second be out of order. And um, he came upstairs one day and he carried up two cans of black paint. And I said, what are you gonna do with those? What are those? And he said, these make sure you keep your room clean. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm putting these cans in your bedroom. The next time your room is not clean, your stuff is getting destroyed. And he meant it because it happened. You know, he came home one day. Whatever happened that day, I have no idea. He went upstairs. He was just trying to find something to, to get angry at. And my mom came home right after him. And, you know, he started. they started fighting. And then he went upstairs with a screwdriver or a uh, uh, flathead and opened up those cans of paint everywhere, ruined everything I had. 
Like just bedroom. threw it around? Yep. And actually, my mom was fighting him to stop, you know, and um, yeah, he ruined everything. And, and uh, this I mean, is his own house, too, right? Yeah. And they or both. his apartment. No, we had a house. He had a home. Yeah. So he's even destroying, he's even, technically, he's messing up his own property. Right. And, um, well, he didn't care about that. He yeah. just cared about the fact it that just he... goes to show the mental capacity, you know. I mean, it just didn't, it wasn't right. just a really sick dude. Yeah, they, he came down first, and my mom came down, and they were just covered, covered. And um, he got in the shower. There was only one shower in the house. He got in the shower, so my mom took me, and she was covered in paint. She got in the car and took me to my stepsisters, and we stayed with her for a couple of days. And then we went back home. Went back. Went back because my mom told me later that um, he always to he always threatened to kill himself if she didn't come home. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, really? I like. Yeah. <laughs> she Damn, said one time. If that's all it was going to take, we should have. Right. <laughs> I'd have gladly stayed away. <laughs> well, I told her one time. I said, let him. She's like, I can't live with that conscience on my conscience. And I'm just like, okay. You I know, don't what have me, terms. What do I do? I don't even know the terms and stuff to assign to a person like that. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, what do you do? And and then um, he would he would get angry. Um, there was one time he got angry, and I mean, he was all he always seemed to be angry at something. He just there was something he always wanted to pick on, do you know, to be angry for. And he was angry at my mom one night, and they had just bought a brand new television, and he. Threw a um, glass of orange juice, and it broke the TV, and it splattered all over the wall. The orange juice just went everywhere, and my mom cleaned it up, you know. And he got mad and pissed off and left for a while. And yeah, now he can't watch TV. Yep, yep. Because I would imagine this dude probably sat around and watched a lot oh, of TV. That's all he did, <laughs> pretty much when he was home. And when he's see wasn't... what TV will do to you, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, when he wasn't in the downstairs basement or mowing the lawn. Um, that's pretty much where he was. That's all he did. Miserable human being. Yep. And, um. So what, how'd you end up getting, like, what happened? Because at some point, uh, did it escalate even further than this? Yeah. It, um, actually, it's to the next day. I had snuck some friends over while he was gone at the shop. And, um, I had, uh, you know, I heard him, because we had a gravel driveway. And I always kept my yep. ears out for that gravel drive and I heard it and I'm like oh shit my dad's home go you gotta get out of the house and we had a back door you know and they went out the back door and they waited for they kind of like snuck around to see when he would go in and they kind of waited for him to go in and they took off over the fence you know and uh, I ran upstairs and uh, he called down to me and uh, he I think he'd been home for just a few minutes he calmed down to me and he's like you know April get your ass down here and that's usually what he always said when he wanted me to come downstairs <laughs> And um, I came downstairs, and he's just like, uh, did you have friends over today? I said, nope. I lied, of course, because I was scared. Um, I said, nope. And um, he said, you're lying to me? I said, no. You know, with that shake of a head and, you know, the trembling and everything. And uh, he, um, he said, well, I want to know who put this, uh, these stains on the wall. And I said, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't speak I couldn't tell him I was so like yeah, because he did it because he did it you know because anytime I've ever in the past pointing out something he did 
It and was just no like good come from that. Oh yes, no, ever. And um, it didn't matter, you know. And I, I was just like, I don't know, I don't know, you know. And he just, he you know, he started uh, smacking me, and like, he's like, Are you sure you don't know? You know, he smacked me on one side of the, the face, and then he smacked me on the other side of the face, and it just came like a constant. I swear, I felt like it was forever that that went on. And he's just like, you're going to go stand in this corner. I mean, I'm just like, my face is on fire and I'm crying, you know, and he's just yelling at me, stop crying, and told me I had to stand in this corner. Well, our our living room, when you walked in from the hall, it had like a little, I don't know, that went around the fireplace. So it was a little, little corner spot right before you get to the fireplace. And I had to stand right there, and I was there for four hours. Oh, God. And it was just like, well, that was the total time. Because I knew what time he had come home. And, um, you know, I was starving. He went, I was sitting there for, I was there for a while. Because he was sitting there watching TV. And uh, I was there for a while. And he got up, he went, he made himself some food for dinner. And um, the TV was on. It was like this loud banging noise. And I was just like, of course I'm curious what's going on. So, of course, I, as soon as I look to see what's going on he comes into the door and um you know he puts his food down he puts his towel down on the on the um what is that um coffee table TV yes table. coffee table thank you <laughs> remember we used to have those fold out tv tables there by hand? yes <laughs> yeah we had this big long coffee table in the front of the couch and he put all of his stuff down he took his belt off and he whipped me with the hard end mm. And I had to stand there for about an hour more in the corner. And then he sent me upstairs to bed without dinner for something I didn't do. Yeah. I did lie to him, but yeah, no, I didn't no. deserve that. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, uh, one of my favorite speakers, Bob Earl, talks about his mom and says she uh, she did the best she could. She did the best she could do with the tools she had. But what she did to me uh, is a criminal felony in today's world. And no doubt with your situation too the dude should get locked up for that yeah there's no way she'd be able to you know and I, we were just talking earlier and i that is one of the ways i play god when i ask people how do you play god are you willing to stop one of the ways i play god is i try to decide what punishment people deserve and uh but yeah the tr- truth of the matter is if somebody would call the police on somebody doing that today mm. uh, they would be in prison well when i had the black eye I went to school. I went to Catholic school, and uh, the principal called my mother, and my mother lied. Yep. She said, "No, she just felt because I told the truth." Yeah, I don't understand that dynamic of how that, you know. I mean, I uh, I know that it I know that it happens. I know that it's the truth, but I certainly I just cannot wrap my head around people who protect these. Well, uh, I, I'm not taking. I'm not saying that it makes it any better. But I know that when my mother stood up for me, it made it worse for her. Yep. You know, it really did. And um, so, and there were several times that that had happened. Uh, I think at least three times that that had happened, where an incident happened, and my mother was called into the principal's office to what's going on at home. Did you ever witness physical abuse on your mother by him? Oh yeah. Yeah, he threw it uh, against a wall once. I mean, I would assume that happened, but I just was curious because you yeah, hadn't mentioned she, it. Yeah, he was a very... I mean, I'd think she would have a black eye once in a while if you did. No, she never had a black eye. He just... Or, you know... Right. Things of that nature. Yeah, no... But no, he took it out more on you than her. Oh, yes. I was the one he took it out on the most. 
um, you know, because like I said, he didn't want me there. And um, I mean, there were several opportunities for her to leave. She never took them. But so, what did end up happening to where you did get out? He died. Yeah, and um, he he found out he got got stomach cancer in um, '95, and um, he went through surgery. And actually, but that would have been after you left. No. Oh yeah, it was. It was after I left because I I graduated. Yeah, I was curious in about what got you away from the situation because I mean, at some level, if you well, hadn't left, you'd still be there. Except for right. he's passed since then. Well, yeah, I, I stayed at home until I graduated high school because um, that was the most important thing to me. And my mom kept pressing me, "You got to graduate, Greg." Yeah, she to take it out. She didn't graduate. You know, and my father didn't graduate from high school. I'm sure that there was, you know, that ticket away kind of thing was in everybody's. You know, I've got to get this under my belt so that way I can get the F out of here. Right. Well, and the day I left, um, you know, I was uh, saving up all my money. I, I worked a job ever since I was 13. I, I delivered newspapers, the Cincinnati Enquirer. Mm-hmm. I delivered the newspaper for a couple of years. And then I got a job as a busser at the Sovereign Restaurant. And uh, I was banking big money and I was putting my money in the bank and then all of a sudden it was gone like disappeared the money gone yeah and I asked my mom like mom what happened to all that money because my mom had to sign an account for me because I wasn't old enough so I and she's like well I took it to pay bills oh wow and I was just like oh my gosh I said oh oh uh, okay well mom if you needed it you know I mean what do you do (laughs) I never really was taught at the time to manage money, you know. It's just like I saw all this money going out um, or all these things coming in, but no money going out, you know, just, I mean, it didn't make any sense to me. I couldn't figure it out in my head. It's like, oh, okay, I can send away for uh, CDs and you know, spending money feels good. Yeah, it's just like, oh. Getting new stuff. Right, and that's actually what started me on my um, um, financial problems, yeah, you know, with me not being able to f- uh, manage money very well. Yeah. Just, well, it's the same, you know, I'm sure I'm putting words out there, but, you know, uh, I am not happy with my current situation, and it's like a drug, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so this makes me feel better when I buy the new stuff, and no different than when I was first handed a joint it was uh hey this makes me feel better temporarily or whatever right i don't care i'll take the moments of relief uh and then i need more in a day or so (laughs) well music actually throughout my yeah childhood so it had some benefit from that thing too you got some my joint was gone in a few minutes and that was that but you got to enjoy uh something that had some lasting benefit yeah, I mean, that was one thing, too. My mom, you know, she, uh, I'm very eclectic when it comes to music. I like all aspects. Like, I'm. You got to use smaller words. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it means I like a lot of a different variety of music. Um, I mean, I actually, on the way here, I was listening to 50s and 60s. You know, it's just, yeah. I love that, love those gen- different genres. Well, I had to want to get back and stay on track on, like, how'd you get out of this? Yes, it's just sorry. carried on. Did he sexually abuse you all the way up? or All the way up. And actually, I remember when I was 16, 
he he would like lurk around corners, um, watch me bathe, watch me get dressed, you know, and it's like I would get dressed behind the closet door, you know, even though it was really small space. I yeah. didn't care just so I couldn't yeah. be found or watched or whatever. Yeah, trying to have some freaking privacy around it. Right. I know. No. Privacy was not an issue. That's what I'm saying. That's what you were searching for. Yeah. And actually what helped me is journaling. I had a stack, a huge stack in a drawer of journals in my room. And that helped me to release. Nobody taught me how to do that. I just started doing it one day. I started with a notebook, and then I found these little books that I could carry in my pocket. Every time I felt stressed, I'd write it out. Well, he found those one day, and he burned them. He burned all of them. Of course. Because it was, evidence I mean, it was, it was detailed information of everything that happened. Yeah, he couldn't possibly not burn those. Right. You know, I mean, he had a burn, we had a burn barrel in the back barrel in the backyard, and that's where he burned a lot of things he didn't want people to see. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I remember um, I was like 16, and um, I started puberty late. I started to, like I was 15, and um, and I had a boyfriend, but I don't remember until I was 18. I don't think I, you know, was intimate with anybody until I was like 18, you know, because I just I didn't want to. Yeah. I was I mean, afraid I think of that's it. That's probably still a little bit early and normal. Right. Yeah. Uh, that well, normal is, and I think that puberty thing's probably normal. The kids are getting that earlier and earlier and earlier nowadays. But are they? I don't know. Uh, I would think you know that that time frame would be. You probably felt like you was early because or because or late because there was uh, everybody other else kids was ahead of you. Oh yeah, everybody else around me, and I got made. It might have made everybody else the ones that were abnormal, and you were the normal, and we didn't know that. <laughs> I have no idea. You know, I didn't really pay attention to others. You know, I mean, I was kind of like uh, a loner in school. Right, I so had a, I had a few friends. I sidetracked you on that. That's that okay. When you were sixteen. Yeah. Um, well, he came into my room, woke me up, and um, I had my covers over me, and he started pulling the covers down, and I I just told him, I said, "Get off me, leave me alone," and I I fought him. I actually kicked him really hard in the stomach, and he hit me pretty good and hard. You know, and uh, but he left the room, you know, after a few really shitty words, and I just put the covers back over my head. I felt like that five-year-old little girl, yeah. you know, um, but I was just like, maybe, I just thought maybe, just one chance, this could be it. He would leave me alone, and uh, he only did it every once in a while, like blue moon, like, I don't know, every once a month maybe now instead of mm. once a week, twice a week. Three times a week, however often he felt like screwing with me, you know, messing with my head. Um, but um, it was less. So I was, I got into everything I possibly could sports. I worked. I had a boyfriend. So I was hardly ever home and I never wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. I did everything I could to not go home. Right. <laughs> Um, but I, I moved out um, when I was 19 after I graduated because my mom held me back um, my first year. Um, yeah, first grade, she held, I got held back because it was that um, in-between time of going from my, my dad's to 
my mom's and I was having a really hard time with it. So um, she held me back that year so I graduated when I was 19. And uh, when I packed up the car and we moved me into my apartment, I found a roommate and um, I handed him my house key and he said, um, he said, you will never be allowed in our house again. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, and I said, okay. <laughs> I just said, okay. You know, I mean, that's all I said. Okay, and I walked off. Yeah, well, Mark, I mean, with the, after being treated like that, when you didn't even know him, okay, I mean, you'd be, I be that ain't really, I mean it. Thank you. I don't want to ever, my, for the past 15 years or whatever, yeah. uh, I've been wanting out of here. Right, uh, yeah, I did. I really did. Um, but, I mean, I had other experiences, um, like, my stepmother kept me from my father. Um, I was not allowed to see him. In fact, there was like several years, and the last time that I actually spent time with my father while he was married when I was 16. And then I didn't see him again until um, 96, 97. I started working for uh, Continental Airlines in 96. June 24th, 96, actually. Um, best job I ever had. I was so, I felt so uh, free there. Like, it was, it was awesome. It was, I mean, I loved aviation. And, um, but I got in touch with my father again. Him and Karen had divorced, and uh, he finally left her because she was very controlling to him. He wasn't allowed to go anywhere or do anything. Um, so he finally got free, and I could tell he was so happy. It's like my dad again, you know, like that man I knew when I was three years old. <laughs> and um, so we connected a lot. Um, we last, we would like keep contact for a couple years and lose contact for a couple years, and round it again and then lose it again. So, um, but when my stepfather got sick. In 95, we found he had cancer, um, and he had surgery. I was the only one that helped my mom take care of him. Hmm. My uh, step, I had three stepsisters. They hardly came over. You know, I had two stepbrothers. Um, why would you? One, why would I? No, why would you, the other ones, you know? I mean, it's interesting, yes, why would you? But, you know, when uh, you behaved like that dude did, who would want to come take care of well, you? Well, that's just it. He didn't He didn't abuse them. Yeah, but I still think you would know. I think that same knowing in you would know that that man, I'm calling a father, there's something mm-hmm. going on with why that they dude don't that's wanna... not okay. Yeah. I think, we, I... I think we have a sixth sense, but we, you know, and I think we lose that to some extent, but I think it's cultivated, and I think we have it when we're younger, mm-hmm. that you know, like, this person is not a good person yeah. without even knowing anything about them. Right. You know, but it, I think that you'd feel that. But go ahead. You were the only one that took care of him? I was the only one that helped Mom while well, she worked to take care of him. And um, I was in college, and um, I was put on suspension because I couldn't go to school. I pretty much stopped going to school to help take care of him. And... Um, he became uh, even more s- sick after his surgery. I think he was starting to get better, and then about six months after surgery, he started going downhill. 
and he died on uh, August 13th, 1996. Um, but before he passed away, I think it was about a month, I was at home. He had one of those hospital beds we put in the living room. We got rid of the couch, put the hospital bed in there um, so he could just lay and watch TV. And um, I was helping my mom with things, and it was getting time for me ready to go. And um, I sat down and asked him if he needed anything before I left. And he said, um, you know, I really, I really want to ask you for your forgiveness for all these things that I've ever done to you. And I looked him straight in the eye, and I told him, I have forgiven you a long time ago. I, don't, I would not be here if I didn't forgive you. And he just said thank you, and you know, a few weeks later he was gone. And I told my mom him passing was the best thing that ever happened to her. You know, one thing my mom like got several things out of being married to him, and one of them was the knowledge of guns, and she ran the gun shop after he died. Mm. She couldn't do the rebluing and the things like that because she didn't mm -hmm. he wouldn't teach her those things but he she could tell you a gun inside and out and mm. all that stuff so she mostly sales oh yeah but i mean she was really good at it and um she did it for a long time and then she remarried so but um yeah um and actually when was it um i was married I can't remember what year it was. I was married previously. Um, it was before Joe passed. I was living in, because my, they owned an apartment, they owned a building, and above it was four apartments. There were two, two extra floors above the business. And um, so I, I rented out one of the apartments, and I lived in there. And um, this was before he passed, though, but like years before he passed and but after the you'll never step foot in this house again yeah so but i was allowed to run an apartment from him but i was kind of in a hard place um you know in between jobs and stuff like that and yep. uh, so they allowed me to do that and um but they didn't give me any discount on rent i had to pay the same as everybody else and which was fine i didn't expect it and um i kind of forgot where i was going with that <laughs> Let's get back to the working life because we do uh, need to pick up to. I know you got a lot of life going. And, oh yeah, uh, and we're an hour in. Oh um, well oh yeah, continental. Was, yeah, continental. Uh, well, actually, I was married. Go back to I was married before then. I was with a. Um, I met somebody when I was nineteen. Actually, it was like closer to I was twenty, and. Um, we were really good together, and then um, I was trying to seek help for all the abuse that I had, and I found a counselor at the University of Cincinnati that I was able to go to and see once a week to help me, you know, work process this out, this. process it, and work it out. And uh, during that time, you know, I was told that it's best that you know you don't have sexual relations with anyone while you're healing, and I told this to you know. Greg, that was my ex, and um, and he is like okay, and he he was a little upset about it, you know, but he got over. I mean, we lived together, and um, then all of a sudden it was like there were several mornings I'd wake up and like I, 
it was like I, I had sex, but I didn't. And I found out later that he was having sex with me while I was sleeping. And he was just like, well, I thought you were awake. And I'm like, how would you think I was awake if I never got up after? You know, like, oh, I don't know, you know. And this went on for a really long time. I mean, even after I found out about it, you know, it's just like for whatever reason, I slept so, you know, hard, like I couldn't, I didn't know, know anything was going on. I think that's why nowadays if I sleep, I can hear it bend drop and I wake up. <laughs> so we separated for a while and then um, I told him I loved him. I didn't want to be without him and we got married and it was mine and I thought maybe that would fix it. And it didn't fix it. So uh, it was like eight months later, and then we got an annulment. Hmm. So to me, it kind of like it never existed, but it did. <laughs> so, um, but then um, 96, I started working for Continental. And I started on the ramp. You know, I brought flights in and pushed them out and loaded the bins, worked in operations, and progressed from there. And um, I was with them for 12 years. Wow. Um, I loved it. I traveled. Um, um, I lived in Houston for a year, came back to Cincinnati, went to Austin in the year 2000. And I was, no, 99. And I was there until the end of 2003. I was there for four years and I had actually I was in a relationship there and I lost my job at Continental over it um, because I was getting a lot of migraines I was living with a man and um, like I found myself just dropping everything to do you know everything like if there was something going on that was wrong I would get migraines and stress about it and I couldn't go to work so I was calling in a lot and I didn't know this thing um, where you get FMLA, Family Medical Leave of Absence. My uh, supervisor came to me and said, you know, uh, well, you can take uh, FMLA. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. He's like, well, I'll leave the paperwork. But he never left me the paperwork. And it was just like, I felt like it was, you know, why? They were just, it was like a reason they didn't, you know, wanted me, not wanted me to be there. And because um, I had like hurt my shoulder and uh, I was out for a while, you know, on leave and I paid leave because I was hurt. I hurt my shoulder lifting up a really heavy bag, putting it on the belt. And um, so I was in like physical therapy and all this other stuff. And I came back and and uh, I started getting migraines then. So I thought it was because of that. But there was so much stress with the man that I was living with because he was cheating on me and I was a I just kept coming back you know and uh what you were trying to do yeah yeah I didn't think about that like that though you know I well just, hell no you don't <laughs> I think I know now you didn't own it I know now but yeah, I didn't well, know we're then aware of our behaviors and our patterns we tend to react to them and we're not aware we just do right? the dumb stuff that always was modeled for me <laughs> Yeah, so I just kept going back and um, miss, kept missing a lot of work, and I was I lost the job that I loved, 
And I came back and I talked to my old um, operations manager and uh, he actually fought and got me my job back. He's like, and I told him everything. I mean, I was honest with him. I told him about the relationship. I told him about everything and he fought for me and he got me my job back. So I started back in March, 2004. And I left in um, September of 2007. So it was out, yeah. So it was like actually 11 years. Yeah, a little closer to 11 years. Yeah. That's a problem when you start doing dates. People start calculating and your dates don't work. <laughs> so then they start discounting your story because you're... Right. So the 96, leave them 97. Out. Who cares? Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. Because the story, does, it doesn't it doesn't hold any more benefit for anybody to know what year it was. Right. A little more overlooked. I mean, I know, I think in our heads we're trying to process it because it helps us. But right. it wouldn't matter if it was 1942. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I think that would have been, I don't know if that would have been better or worse. <laughs> um, so you went back to work there. Yeah, I went back to work there. And um, actually in... Well, before I went to to um, Austin, because I went there in the summer. I remember I went there in, like, June. Before I went to Austin, Texas, I um, I went to Europe by myself. And cool. um, I did uh, two weeks there. My, my brother was stationed in um, Puerto de Santa Maria, and... I went and stayed with him for just a day, just, well, two days. I left on the third day, two whole days. Um, but, man, it was a travel to get to him. Mm. <laughs> but I, I started off in Paris. I flew from Newark, New Jersey to Paris. And then from Paris, I went to Madrid. And then Madrid, I took two separate, two more puddle hoppers to get to uh, uh, Puerto de Santa Maria, where he was stationed. My brother was in the Navy, and him and his wife were there. And while we were there, um, uh, we did a lot of uh, going around and touring, and we actually drove to Portugal on one of those days. So I got to Portugal, and then um, on the third day, which is why we ended it, I ended it soon, is we woke up early in the morning and my my sister-in-law and I were going to take the Euro ferry over to Africa and we did and we got there they wouldn't take her passport hmm. because it wasn't American she didn't have a visa or anything she didn't have anything that would allow her to be there so we had to wait for the next Euro ferry to go back she's like well you can go because we were going to go to the gypsy markets and stuff and go shopping and um, she's like, well, you can go. And I'm like, and leave you here? <laughs> you don't hardly speak English. Let's know. <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> so, uh, well, we had fun when we were there. We went shopping um, and while we were there. Um, but they were, the way that they make a lot of their money there is they panhandle you. And they'll take you on tours. And, you know, and uh, you have to be, you have to keep your pocket pocketbook closed. Yeah. So, but um, we didn't have any problems. Yeah. But. Uh, we came back and I left, um, and uh, then from there, I went back to Madrid, and then I went to London and I ended my trip in London. But I saw um, five countries and nine cities while I was gone for two weeks. That was like cool. 
Yeah. That was like the best <laughs> trip ever, I think. I did it by myself, you know. Um, but I also went to like, um, on my, I worked 10 hour days, so I'd get three days off. And on my three days off, I would either do temporary duty in outstations and train, or I would go to Mexico. <laughs> I was like, hmm, train, Mexico, train, Mexico. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so, um, but. Um, so let's move forward to, you know, because we got a lot of the past and what yep. you went through, and this is a recovery podcast, so we're trying to do the, yes, you know, try what, to do what the good. fucked me up, <laughs> what happened to make me decide to make changes about right. the stuff that fucked me up and what I do to do to recover from that. Well, um, I was actually going into aviation maintenance, and I met my husband. Um, and I was living in Cincinnati at the time, working for Kenworth. And then I uh, moved to Alabama. And, um, and I stayed with my friend Christina and her boyfriend, well, husband, Alvin. And... I got, there was a phone call one day, and um, it was Marshall, and said, you're, you're not Christina. You're not Alvin. Who are you? And I was like, well, this is April. And we just started talking, and that's kind of how it developed. And um, he came down and spent some time with me while they went to a Germany trip. And then um, he came back in March for my spring break, and... He asked me to marry him on a dolphin cruise. Wow. And uh, I said yes. And 7 11, 2012, we got married. And actually, when I met him, he was drinking heavily. And um, I told him that I couldn't handle that. And I, I didn't give him an ultimatum, you know, but I told him, I just told him what I couldn't do. You know, I'm like, I, I grew up with that. My father's an alcoholic. My brother's an alcoholic. You know, I, like, I just, I can't do that. And, um, but and you he could, because you did. Yes, I did. <laughs> well, he said, okay, and he stopped drinking, but, but without any help. And I didn't know there was resources out there, you know, for that sort of thing. I remember my dad going to AA, but I didn't know there was resources out there like that. You know, like I do yeah, now. Yeah, most of us don't. I mean, we think we're stuck and right. don't know there's any place to get any help. Right. I didn't know. I didn't know. And um, um, about two months after we got married, he started drinking again. Of course. You know, and I was going to aviation maintenance school. I was actually in aviation maintenance school, and I made the dean's list down in Alabama where I was going to school at. I freaking loved it. I mean, it was just, oh, my gosh. I felt like it was in my bones, but my mom was a mechanic, my dad was a mechanic, you know, um, fixer-uppers, whatever, so it was kind of in my system already, and um, then I started school, I didn't realize there was a school close to me, there was a school in Louisville for aviation maintenance, so I transferred here and started school in um, August of 2012, here, in Louisville, and um when my grades started slipping, um, I couldn't, you know, drinking all the time. I couldn't concentrate, you know. You were drinking all the time? No, he was drinking all the time. Um, he, I couldn't concentrate on my schoolwork and stuff, and uh, my grades went down. And I, I, I still made Bs, you know, but maybe a C. Or, but 
um, you know, and then, uh, what was it? Um, I was starting, um, I finished airframe and then I started power plant and a few weeks into power plant, I found out I was pregnant with our son. And, um, so I use that as an excuse to quit, you know, it's just like, okay, um, I can't, I can't really be pregnant and work on aircraft engines being around all these chemicals and lifting heavy things and stuff while pregnant it's like so it's probably a good idea so I was like okay good because <laughs> I, I found myself I found myself going down you know I couldn't concentrate and I was having a really hard time uh, with the engine part of it and stuff yeah I was gonna say I mean it's interesting and again uh, what I hear and what you're telling me uh, aren't completely adding up uh so but you could have done what you were doing and be pregnant somebody could do that today and maybe you're right about the fumes and maybe you're right about some things but there's also some countermeasures to that kind of stuff so you could but it sounds like stuff was not working quite so well and any excuse will do yes exactly that's really what it was (laughs) and it's a good one and it's not you know it's not it's not a you know it's perfectly reasonable and say hey i'm pregnant my life just changed trajectory and yeah. i will just continue on the curve it just took me on and i actually was constantly hearing from my teachers you know are you coming back are you coming back you know and not no i'm not coming back so um you know we had had uh, our son on october 22nd 2014 and um he was still drinking heavily and um, I focused everything on about this at all huh? or was there were there yeah I mean it was constant like you know uh, stressful I can't you know handle this and my mom ta- told me about Al-Anon because she used to actually be an Al-Anon for my father when you know when they were married and because uh, he was going to AA and yeah. and stuff and so she told me about Al-Anon. I didn't know it existed. So I started going, and um, it actually really, really helped me. And um, although for the first two years I was in Al-Anon, all I talked about was my husband. Right, yeah. Just go, <laughs> just go complain about our user, our addict, or whatever. Right. They, yeah, what language they use. And then until I realized, it's like, wait a minute. A lot of people will say that's all that's happening there. You know, I hear people because these 12 steps are magic. Yeah. They're a tool that will help you, and supposedly that program is based on these same 12 steps. But, uh, And again, I don't have any personal experience, but what I hear all the time is they don't work steps now and on. All they do is go in there and complain about their... Well, I mean, there's some therapeutic value to airing that stuff out, mm-hmm. but the, the, real, the real kit and caboodle is in doing this work. Right. Well, that was... Uh, when I told, first told Marshall that I was going to start Alan on, he was just, he was just like, you're just going to try to make me quit drinking. It's like, no, mom said that's not the reason. Cause I really didn't know. I said, mom said that's not the reason. You know, she told me about Alan on and that it would help me, you know. And it will. Yeah. And so I started going and, um, um, I was, didn't really connect very well with the group, but I was, I was going and then we moved to Elizabethtown. Um, so we'd be closer to his family and, um, I found a different group and man just took off. Like, I mean, I started talking about me, 
you know, and what how I was doing. And I finally went through the 12 steps in Al-Anon with a sponsor. It wasn't my sponsor, but it was an older, like a person that had been there for like 25 years well, or whatever. Well, that's weird. You had this sponsor, but the sponsor is not who took you through the steps. Yes. Well, I would, I would, I would redefine that. This <laughs> other person was just a friend, and this person who <laughs> took you through the steps was actually your sponsor. <laughs> I yeah I don't know why that was I mean she, um, I don't know actually that person that's my friend is still my sponsor today but she's not, like, I mean we're more friends than she is a Just sponsor in title yes <laughs> so um, but yeah and I got a lot out of them you know I just it really helped me to let go but I was still holding on you know um, but I was doing um, what I could at that time, you know, after I finished doing the 12 steps and then, um, I, I complained less, you know, he'd come to me after trying to quit drinking and, and I just tell him, well, today's a new day, you know, let's, or tomorrow's a new day. Let's just, uh, leave it there, leave yesterday and yesterday and then, you know, go to tomorrow. And, um, you know, so we, and we did that a lot, you know, and, um, the big book says, "I made, I, re, I wrote many sweet promises to my wife." <laughs> I know he really wanted to, you know. I could tell, and I, I could see the struggle, you know. And uh, but I knew that there was nothing that I could do about it. He had to want to do it himself. And uh, I re- re- reached a point to where he was really, really starting to get bad, you know. And uh, I took Thomas to his mom's. And I left. Thomas had a, um, oh, going back in 2016, a couple months, uh, actually on August 3rd, 2016, we found out that Thomas has autism. And, um, I mean, I immediately was just like, okay. How old was he when that? Uh, He was almost two. Okay. Yeah. And, um, oh, no. Yeah. Because somebody's out there trying to do the math almost on three. all these dates. And <laughs> right. We don't know if the kid's 10 or <laughs> He was almost one. three. He was diagnosed before he was three. Because when they, they do their, um, you know, they go for their wellness, what they call wellness visits. Yep. They go over um, everything. And she gave me this list, and he didn't hardly do any of them. Although he exceeded in, you know, walking, and he pretty much walked before he crawled. And um, he sat up within, like, three months. I mean, he was just amazing at all that stuff, but he didn't talk. And, um, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know, Einstein, this, that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Just like, okay, so I don't care about them. <laughs> Let's focus on Thomas. You know, so I was doing research and everything. And um, uh, so we got him therapy and uh, everything we could possibly give him, you know, to help him. And um, But we moved to... Elizabethtown in 2017 and it was like night and day as far as therapy was concerned um, we I always felt like there was something missing in what he was getting in Louisville and it may just mean that I didn't find it at the time you know I haven't stumbled across it but when I got to Elizabethtown it was just like it was amazing I couldn't believe he started just doing more and more and more you know um, uh, things that he couldn't do before like um you know his motor skills and and stuff i mean he was really good with that like he would stack things 
by size and you know and it was <sighs> this is an amazing child I tell you uh, I still amaze he amazes me all the time <laughs> He's, he comes up with but anyway so we got into therapy and um, um, he seemed to be doing better but he was only he didn't better when my husband wasn't in his moments of not drinking we I saw these ups and downs and um Marshall was 2018 Marshall was reaching his um point of um his bottom yeah he was reaching his bottom and it got really bad and I took Thomas to his mom's and uh, my son doesn't Thomas doesn't do well with change and uh, he was having a hard time, and I went back, and I, like two days later, and he was in bed, and because um, what drew me to my breaking point of leaving, or thinking of leaving, because I hadn't left yet, I just went to his mom's to stay, and uh, kind of to like throw in a wrench of, you know, hey, something serious is going to happen, we need to do something. Because my, um, what brought me back to Thomas was uh, he had to have his frenulum clipped because it was going to help him pronounce his words better. And he was supposed to go and that's on that Monday. And Sunday, um, Marshall didn't come home that night. And when he did come home, I locked him in the basement because he was, you know, obliviated. And uh, he missed the appointment because he broke his... Um, shoulder shoulder yeah something in his shoulder he broke <laughs> we don't need the medical term yeah I don't um, something in his shoulder he broke I can't remember the term um, and uh, and he's like you want me to go and I'm like no so I had to take him alone you know and it was really difficult and uh, yeah we came back and I took Thomas to his mom's and I came home a couple of days later and he was lying in bed you know and um I told him, I'm like, this has got to change. You need to get help. You know, you need something. And I actually got his uh, brother, my brother-in-law involved because uh, he really looks up to him, you know. And uh, he helped intervene when we went to the hospital. He wouldn't go to the hospital for his shoulder. So we, we said, well, let's go out to eat. So I had him meet us at the restaurant and he finally convinced him to go to the hospital and I actually called and I got him with a doctor that um, helps with phys like uh, medical needs as well as um, alcoholics and drug addicts and things like that so and it was like it was um, a reference from the woman the woman that I did the steps with I called her usually when something serious goes on she's who I call yeah. you know and because uh, she's amazing she always has a right resource and uh, so I caught her and um, you know it's just it was really hard for me to see the man that I love struggle so so much and um, and he finally agreed and uh, he couldn't go into um, um, because of work he couldn't go into uh, a rehab or anything like that Inpatient. yeah and uh, but he found someone that the doctor had told him about 
that he a can therapist. do a set. Yeah, he can do a set. And man, I just every time I, I like see it. that man, I want to hug him. <laughs> uh, we make up all kinds of reasons when we're doing our madness about why we can't do this and can't do that. Um, my, I have an instant rejection on the fact that he could not go to rehab because his work wouldn't let him. Uh, <laughs> I believe every employer, and particularly the major employer he works for, has a program for people like me right. when I'm struggling. And they, I think by law, have to yeah. allow you to go get help, no different than if they, you had cancer and they would prevent you from going and getting chemo. Yeah. Uh, they have to let you go. But uh, I know that when we're at, like alcoholics and addicts, uh, we'll come home and tell any story not to have to do that. Yeah. I thought the world would end. I didn't think, you know, I didn't think the, I'm mean, really, you know, looking at it now and I really didn't process it then, but I like, there's no way I can go inpatient. You know, how my, how's my work going to continue? You know, that place will fall apart while I'm gone. Yeah. And uh, same thing with my home, and you know, they could not see how the world could exist without me, with me out of the picture for a week. Yeah, well, I told him, um, you know, I, I'm sorry that you're, you know, what happened to your shoulder, but this is a sign from God. He's giving you this chance because he was able to take off work because of his shoulder, you know, and it, to help you with this, you know, and but he lived, I mean, it was broken. Yeah. He couldn't work, you know, so. Um, it was awesome. I mean, it, and so in that case, he was off work anyway. Yeah, he was off work anyway, so he was able to help himself. Would, yeah, yeah. They would have had to let him off work if you go into your human resources and say, "I have a problem with my drinking, and I need to go to the hospital to go for it." They have to let you. Well, I can't. I can't speak for why. Yeah. You know, it's that's on whatever his thought process was. Yeah. You know, all, but I also want to make sure that's clear on my podcast. So that some faulty information doesn't go out there that people continue that little trend of right. saying, I can't, to my work won't let me. Right, no. That's, Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Now, they don't have to send you back repeatedly, you know, but most any employer is going to give you one shot anyway, at right. least. I just, whatever his reasoning was, it, it happened the it way it happened because, you yep. know, yep. that's what God allowed. So... And I was so I was grateful, and um, and then he started uh, finally after a while, even after he started seeing, finished seeing the therapist, he finally started going to AA, and then he heard about, he ran into one of the guys there, and he heard about the, the spiritual underground, and then, you know, he started doing that, and I just saw this change, like I mean he was already changing, you know I could already tell, you know, but I could tell he wanted something a little bit more you know and and um yeah some real good examples set the way he tells it i think he fell in he found out about the podcast first oh did he? yeah you know yeah and, i think uh, that's it and that i don't know him, his timeline that led him, i understand and then that <laughs> led him to the group which then you was where you saw that change in him when he started getting around people that were doing recovery the way that we do it right but during his recovery, what brought me to uh, wanting to do TSSR was the fact that during his drinking, I found um, help just like I did when I was younger. I'd go out and spend money, mm-hmm. and I was constantly racking up the uh, PayPal account. You know, I had a PayPal account, and I finally had to close it after like the third time or whatever of uh, getting it up to you know ungodly amount. Well. First time it was like 
400. Second time, it was like 900, you know, and then it got to be just a little more here, a little more there. And then, um, you know, so it was like, but it was, I felt like that was my therapy, but that really wasn't my therapy because it was only a temporary fix, Mm -hmm. you know, to my problem. I had a problem with managing money and not um, thinking before I purchase something, you know, do I really need this? Is it just going to sit on the shelf forever? You know, is it something that I'm actually going to use? You know, I, I do that now. It's like I see something that's like, okay, I want this because it's cool looking, but why? <laughs> do I really need this? No, I don't need it. You know, and then I move on. And it's, or the, the fact uh, because I'm a crafter. You know, I crochet and I sew. It's hard for me to bypass a deal on something Supplies I use. Yeah. That. So it's like every time there was a, a clearance section of yarn, it was really hard for me to not go by. And then it's like $80 later, yep. you know, it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, how am I going to explain that? Or And then I was hiding my purchases from him. You know, and but I was still doing it. You know, they say at Al-Anon, it's like you go to Al-Anon because you want help because you're with somebody that is an alcoholic or an addict or both, you know, to get better for you. But then um, once your alcoholic or addict gets better, then you don't know what to do because you're not worrying about your alcoholic or your addict See, anymore. a lot of relationships fail when a dude gets sober. Right. And so I was, I was at this place like... I'm not constantly picking up after him. I'm not constantly after him to stop drinking. I'm not watching how much he drinks or when he drinks and, you know, uh, how much he spends and where the money is going. I'm not doing that anymore. So now I just start spending more money (laughs) because I'm, like, stressed, you Mm -hmm. know. I'm just, like, because I can't handle that. And I'm, like, wait. So I felt that I needed Al-Anon more at that point, you know. It was just... That's actually when I did the twelve steps is after he's after he quit drinking. Mm. So, um, but yeah, and then and then he found Spiritual Underground, and then he TSSR, and then I know it's even more and more and more and more. And I'm like, who is this man? And I think he said to me one day, he's just like, you know, um, we talked about us staying together, and I told him, I said, you know, even after everything that we had been through while you were drinking. I knew and I always saw this wonderful man, you know, no matter what. And he is. He's a wonderful man. He's very caring and loving. He's a great father. You know, he was just sick. Yeah, he was sick. He was an alcoholic, you know, and it's just, I mean, still, but you know what I mean? It's sick. It really is. It's, he, like I say, he told me times that his operating system was hijacked. Yeah. And he didn't have the ability to be who he really was. And... Because that's underneath almost all addicts and alcoholics and people in general. But, you know, as we were talking earlier, you know, everybody's got this core where, you know, when you were, before your spirit got stepped on, you were pure and warm-hearted and, you know, all that when you were a little kid. Yeah. And then our spirits get stepped on and uh, and and we react in different ways. And But inside, ever, I still yet to find an alcoholic to work with that is not like, um, frankly, I think they're some of the best people in the world. I really do, because yeah. once they get that off of them, uh, they excel in life. Right. Yeah. He 
He's such an amazing person. I mean, I just I feel really blessed to call him my husband. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel do. blessed to call him as a friend. Yeah, I mean, and then like um, I got into I I actually when I was sixteen my besides music my outlet was essential oils and crystals, you know when I was when I was younger in my teens, and then I've used essential oils for like well since then. Um, off and on but then I got back into them and um, you know I use them more and more and more and then he brought home a crystal one day and I just I held it in my smile because <laughs> I'm like okay you know because I'm like I didn't want to say you know I known you know I actually used I used to make jewelry and I would make you know I used the real stuff I didn't make the plastic or the glass stuff i mean i would use you know jasper and um all that stuff i mean just everything yeah. i mean and i was just like wow okay now you know you know and he just he took off with it i mean he's so good it's like this inner spirit with him and crystals is just amazing it really is um, i remember i have one thing that i will never forget and it's when you're doing this deal you know things come out of your mouth that you didn't say and uh, you say things, and you don't know where it came from. Like, I don't know where it came from. But he was one day, uh, I don't remember if it was on the group me or whatever, but he had a picture of a crystal that he said he found in his yard. And I'm thinking, <laughs> you, you don't find no damn crystal in your yard, you know? What do you mean find in your yard? And he started telling me, and he got real defensive about it, you know, because I will pull people's leg, and I, they don't know that I'm pulling their leg. You know, I wasn't being nearly as... Uh, as uh, much of an opposition to him as what he felt, but he got very defensive. And it come out, I said, you did not find that crystal. And he said, yes, I did. <laughs> and I said, no, that crystal found you. Yes. <laughs> and, man, it just uh, that was a really cool little thing. And, again, I don't know where it came from, but no, we still tell that story. And, and yes, uh, he is a, now a crystal dealer. Yeah. But he... go ahead with the story from Aaron. on uh, um, um, I just, it just seems to, you know, get better. He's, um, he's actually found several crystals in the yard. I found a few crystals. I have crystals. one next to my bed. Yeah, I, well, the crystals found. found me in the yard. Yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while, Thomas would go, hey, can we go look for crystals? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't know. Yeah, we'll go down and look, and every once in a while, we'll find a little one, yeah. you know, but. But you saw this change in him as he started getting involved in what he had also done because of the podcast and because of Spiritual Underground using mm -hmm. this TSSR methodology and the steps. And I will credit that with some of what, you know, with a with a good piece, you know, that this this is, we say, recovery, unity, and service. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and so the unity and the recovery, you know, between having this awesome way to do the work, which is through using the original 12 steps with TSSR methodology, and then this fantastic fellowship I'm a part of where these dudes are just doing life, mm. uh, he transforms. And because of that, you knew something about some book coming out and some meeting because I think Marshall already had the book at this point in time. Yes. I think it was about the same time the book come out is when Marshall started hanging mm. around. Well, he, um, he that ha yeah, the book, and then uh, when he came to me about the retreat, you know, and I'm just like, yes, go, please, you know, go, you know. Because yeah. that's what Mark sent me that letter, and this story's right. on there. But Mark sent me, I get this email from some dude I don't know. And he tells me, in it, it says someplace about having visited the Spiritual Underground group, but that really, but he was popping on the podcast and giving me a lot of compliments on it. 
and uh, and he and I've been talking about the retreat on the podcast, and so he mentioned it too. And you know, it was another one of the kind of like God things that you know just tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Invite that guy mm-hmm. to the to the retreat." You know, somebody I didn't even know, and uh, so I did. And he, you could see, I could feel the excitement in the email reply. Like, do you really mean that? I can really go. <laughs> And uh, and then he said, "Can I bring my sponsee?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I said, "Sure, man." Yep. <laughs> yep. Bring him. It's yeah. cool. And he so was so started. excited. I mean, he was like walking on air. It was awesome to see. You yeah. know, if the that because it's like up until that point we had not had you know any of that kind of a uh, energy. Yeah. You know, and I could just tell the energy, just feel the energy shifting and. But I was still kind of lost in me, you know, trying to figure out, you know. Where like, do man, I fit in all this? Yeah, where do I fit in all this? And um, I was a little lost, you know, at first, but I was happy for him, you know. But I was still, like, lost in myself. Um, well, there's the ripple effect when one of the people, and it doesn't make any difference if it's a couple or a family or whatever, you know, I saw the ripple effect go through my children and my father and the people around me. So when you get well, the people around you, their lives improve too, uh, if nothing more than I'm just not causing any freaking trouble anymore, you know, or not the kind of trouble I used to cause. Right. So that instantly has a positive effect on the people around me because my negative bullshit ain't getting tossed and spread every place like a manure spreader. Uh, <laughs> And uh, so you so you feel that momentum or some change, some shift in your life, you know. And, and, and he, he told me about the book, and uh, he showed it to me, and I was just like, first I was like, oh, my gosh, that thing's huge. <laughs> you know, and, but I could just tell. And I said, okay, and then I started going. Uh, we did. Um, it did was, y'all come to the first meeting, the uh, big one? We had 50, 60 people there. No, actually, I didn't meet you guys until Marshall started his own you, we were oh, all yeah, at this, yeah. I met you when we all did the Saturday the, meetings. Yeah, Mar, uh, Marshall started a Saturday meeting yep. um, in Hodgenville, and um, that was the first time that I went. That was July 6th, 2019. So that was the day that we all came yep. down there for the inaugural meeting. Yep, and then um, then I actually started going to the Thursday night meetings. And it's like I, I kind of felt like... Uh, I don't know, a part of me, because I have a hard time asking for things, you know, because um, I didn't have a voice for so long, you know, and then all of a sudden now I have a voice and it's like, well, I don't know what I can do and not say or whatever. And I realize, well, just say what I feel, you know, so um, I'm like, well, can I go? Like, well, yeah, go. I'm like, really? <laughs> so I was excited. I guess started going to meetings, but it was Cause like what I said in the beginning of the podcast, we all sit around. We go, I wish my spouse, I wish my mom, I wish my whatever, my significant other, I wish they had this program. Right. And up until now, it wasn't as readily available. You had to do something like Al-Anon. Or you We've to, said that in Al-Anon, actually, in the group that I'm in in E-Town. We've said that. You know, I wish we could share these tools with everybody because right. it's yeah. amazing. Well, that opportunity is out there, folks. Right. <laughs> now it actually is and not, not having to slip in the back door in some place you really didn't feel like you fit because you could go say you're an overeater and mm-hmm. go into OA if you wanted to. Yeah. Or you could say you're an alcoholic and go to AA meetings. Yeah. Uh, I'm relatively certain I know at least one individual that came to AA for the social aspect of it. I don't think the person, I don't, I still to this day don't think the person was an alcoholic, but he liked to hang out with the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And well, he just identified as one, and that made you one. Yeah. But now we got this thing is you don't have to be nothing. You yep. know, you don't have to identify as something. You, you don't know? have to have it Here's my label. 
And, uh, you know, we don't have to put the scarlet A or whatever, you know, you get to just come in and say, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm here, I'm one too. I'm I'm here for this. Well, when I first started and I I was really stuck because, you know, I was still new to, um, him not drinking and, um, you know, and, and he was getting much better and better and better. And and I was just kind of stuck. I was stuck on the past. I was stuck in my childhood. I was stuck in all the all the bad things that ever happened to me, and um, but I started to I was like I wanted what he had, you know I wanted to feel that yeah. energy. So you got this guy that's sicker than you, you know, or whatever, and you know he is, you know, and you're better than him. And they said, you know, he starts getting better now. He looks to be better than me, and I'm felt a little left FOMO. Yeah, you know? <laughs> you're missing out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like hold on, I want to grab a hold of that. Uh, I just, or else I, I'm gonna get further behind. Well, I've I've always shared a positive aspect, you know. Um, like when we first got married, it was I always told him I said, you know, I don't, I don't need you in my life. I want you in my life, you know. And he's like, what? <laughs> you know, it's just like, but that's the positive part of it, you know. And I really wanted that back because when he started drinking again, I lost myself, yeah. you know. And it wasn't and he his drank fault. walking into this too, right? I mean, you were aware, maybe not to the level, maybe, yes. but you were aware that he was probably drinking more than a person you would care for. Did I chose you signed to ignore up for it. it anyway? I chose to ignore it, yeah. you know, until it became a bigger issue than yeah. I could handle. And um, but. Yeah, when I first started TSSR and I, I contacted you, I think I contacted you through the group me. I sent you a message and I said, you know, I'm one of looking for a sponsor, you know, and I really like, I'm not sure if I should ask you or Chris and because you guys were the pretty much it at that time. And yeah. um, and you said, let me pray on it. I'll think about it and I'll talk to my sponsor. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I waited. It felt like forever, you know, I think it was only like a day or something. And you came back and you said, okay, I'll sponsor you. You know, and I was just like, awesome. And I still like, you know, I, I talked to Marshall first, like, do, is this okay? You know, do yeah. you feel good with this? And he's like, yeah, oh, I, yeah, yeah, I yeah, Dan's to awesome. I talked too because I had a lot of, like I said, set up those, set up those scenarios in my mind where why it wouldn't work. Yeah. And uh, one of the things was is that uh, I definitely wanted to make sure, not because you told me Marshall said it was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to make sure to talk to him myself. Right. And hear his tone of voice and <laughs> and get convinced myself that indeed Marshall was okay with it. Yeah, and he was. I could tell, you know. Um, and we just took off, but it, it took me a long time to get out of being stuck. Yep. You know. Um, well, we were talking about that earlier, and it's this old stereotypical of people coming there. It, the the there's a momentum that builds, but man, to get that momentum moving mm-hmm. is is tough. Yeah. Yeah. But once you got moving, because I remember doing our third step. That was before the meeting that one night. Yeah. Yeah. In Ray's office. <laughs> uh-uh. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, man, it's just been it's been a uh, a wonderful journey, to say yeah. the least. We did, you know, the first, the first and second steps are kind of obtuse. I don't know. They're that uh, admit I got a problem essentially. Yeah. And that's really this baseline. I say it. You know, can you admit you got a problem you need help with? Well, you wouldn't be standing here with somebody asking them for help if you didn't. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I've really, 
boil down step two is, you know, do you believe this will work for you? You know, it says, come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me for sanity, for restore me to sanity. That's a whole lot of words that says, do you believe this will work for you? Yeah. And although I don't know that believing the work for you is actually a requirement because it will work if you do it, and you don't, but if you believe it will, it's a lot easier, a lot better process than uh, somebody who doesn't think it will work for them and, right. and is doing it anyway. And so then we got to step three to get, make this decision and the decision of uh, ultimately, you know, like I said, when I boil it down, it's ultimately you're making a decision and agree with me that you'll do the rest of this work. You know, it says all that flowery language about turning my will and my life over to care of God as I understood him. Uh, you know, do I, do I believe that... Uh, well, am I willing to do that? Am I willing to turn this stuff over? Because, you know, now I'm going to start taking direction from a sponsor and I'm going to do all this stuff that he tells me to do. Mm-hmm. Oops, excuse me. And well, uh, can I make a decision to do that? I was ready and, for it. Yep, you were. You were. <laughs> I was like, let's go. And that's part of what I'm doing with step one, two, when I work with somebody. Are they ready? Mm-hmm. Are they really ready? Because uh, I don't want to get partway through a four step and have them bail. Yeah. I'll put a lot of energy into helping people do this. Now there's not and moments. I don't of, want them. Sorry. I don't want them bouncing on me early. Yeah. Uh, and I actually think it's detrimental to get partial way through the steps and not consummate it. I think it's. I think it's. I think you're better off. And I tell my people that when I do a third step with them, you're better. Today is your chance to quit. This is your. This is your invitation to bounce. Because if you don't think you're going to do the rest of this work, let's just put it on the back burner and you go on in your happy way until you are ready to do the work. I was ready. And you were. You yeah. were ready. And I can tell after doing this for a little bit, you know when people are ready and when they're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, After sitting and talking to them for a little bit, you know whether if they're ready to do it or not. And you did. You took off on your four-step. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, it did take a while. Yes, it did. It did uh, take a while. Yep. I got stuck in some things and um, trying to figure out, like. Overanalyzing know. the process, trying to figure out how it works and what I should write down and why yeah. and all this bullshit <laughs> that don't really matter. It's just do it. And then towards the end, it was like, okay, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that momentum I'm talking about. You yeah. Know, the hardest thing in the world is to get started. Yes, and it is. And the second hardest thing is to keep going. And once you get those two under your belt, things get a lot easier, you know, and, and right. the momentum builds and, and you get to the end of it. And uh, then we went down a cabin and did a fifth step, mm-hmm. which was cool. And it was a, it was a, and I'll just be honest about it. You know, there's ob- obvious uh, issues between um, a, a male and a female going, because my, my recipe is, is that I take people down to spend the night at the cabin. And, uh, and for obvious reasons, it a little suspect to be doing that with a married woman. And not that there's anything at all like sideways about it, but some respect issues and different things. And just the decision was made to do a daytime mm-hmm. trip and just go down for the day and uh, and come home. And I, I don't know if it's okay, but we'll say it anyway. And uh, some of the reasons that we have certain uh, guidelines and certain uh, components of the recipe like uh and i found you know it was an example of like why i like that spending the night because you get to insulate that fifth step energy mm-hmm. at least until tomorrow right and you had to walk back home to uh marshall being rather inquisitive about how it went and what was going on and what was next and <laughs> kind of busted that uh fifth step juice up a yeah, little bit, just a little and, bit. Uh, yeah <laughs> and uh and that's why you know that's why some of the not rules but some of the recipe i like that word why the recipe says to uh, do something to insulate yourself from that happening, and just not everybody can do that. So, 
but uh, but the, that's why the recipe is what it is. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, if you can put a day between you and that fist step, man, that's like a day. That's that momentum again. Mm-hmm. And if you... If you're in, and you weren't, this is not you, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm like taking it to the worst case. If I am in some kind of toxic relationship at home and I go do all this work, you know, all this big four step and I do up and I go do this sacred fist step with somebody and I walk back home into the same toxicity that I just, that I'm trying to escape, you know, the bubble gets busted real fast. And I'm not, again, I'll make clear that is not what happened here. Yes, it didn't happen uh, here. <laughs> but that's I was the able worst, to, though, let go that to go. The worst, can, worst uh, case scenario gets into yeah. that and, yeah. and you do you know you learn lessons on you know I do things everything works out the way it's supposed to and uh, you did have a lesson in letting go of that because that's what a lot of this uh, you know we, we had that opportunity to talk about 10 11 and 12 and that wonderful phrase in uh, in in step 11 that says uh, that we're no longer burning energy foolishly you know you could sit and mull on that for months if you wanted to years yeah, no. But what kind, you know, what, <laughs> that's that classic burning energy foolishly. No, let's get on with enjoying life. I'm right. not going to sit here and mull this over, make him pay for it. Right, you know, yeah, and no. And do all this <laughs> stuff that does nothing for anybody's spiritual growth. Right. Yeah, I felt, uh, even though I had that, like, little intermission of, uh, wait, and, oh, wait, no, okay, it's over, it's done, let's go, I'm positive again, and... <laughs> Yeah, we you rebound know. faster. Yeah, I rebound work. faster, and I do not let any, like, you give me an issue, it's like maybe a stressor for a minute, and then I'm like, okay, wait a minute, what are my tools here, you know, how do I think about this, how do I go about this, you know, well, pray on it and call your sponsor, right. yep. <laughs> and I, I do that you know, often, but I, I felt that I don't need my sponsor as much as I used to anymore. Because you've built yourself a support group up around you, mm-hmm. and uh, you've got these tools to use in your personal day-to-day. Like I said, step 10, where I'm going to be, I have uh, a way to process stuff in a healthy manner as it comes along. Well, I mean, take effect of what happened this past year. You know, um, I've had, uh, I was diagnosed with uh, Hashimoto's in uh, May of... 18? Yeah, May of 18. And um, uh, Hashimoto's is basically your hypo and hyper. To, like one day you're hypo, one day you're hyper. It's like it's never flat lined into just it is, you know. Um, and for over a year, they weren't able to get my uh, medication to help me level out to where my levels were normal. I mean, um, and uh, I had. Uh, I had originally done the ultrasound um, on my thyroid, and uh, they found a few masses, but they said that the masses were, like, the same. They were small, and they were the same, so they didn't really worry about them, but they wanted to do it a year later. Well, they did it a year later, and they were, uh, the masses had grown, and uh, they said, you know, we need to take your thyroid out. I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, do you think it's cancer? And she said, we won't know until we get in there. Well, I just let it go, you know. I'm like, okay. So it was a possibility. And, um, you know, I went in, I did the surgery, you know, and I didn't really stress much about it. And um, and then uh, found out, um, they called me about a week later, and they said that they had to send, because uh, they took out my thyroid and they took out a bunch of lip nodes, and then they said they had to send it to a lab in Pennsylvania. 
And I'm like, for a second opinion. And I said, okay. So when that came back, they said that I did have cancer in the thyroid, but that they think that they got it all, but I have to do radiation. I'm like, okay, let's go. You know, whatever I need to do. Yep. And I was along for that. Yeah. I did the, uh, the radiation for a week and it wasn't easy, but you know what? <laughs> I was at peace. You know, uh, I was at peace at the time. You know, I didn't feel, I didn't really give it any energy. You know, I was just like, okay, this is going on. I got this. We're going to take care of it. And that's, that's it. Yep. Remember, we read them nine step promises. We will comprehend the word serenity. <laughs> yeah. So um, I felt good about it. And when, after I had the radiation and then they did the test and everything and, they said that I got it all, and I actually just did my six-month, because because of the type of cancer that I had, it can come back at any time. And uh, I have, so for five years, I have to go every six months and get that blood work done to test to see if it has come back. Yeah. And then after five years, it's only once a year. So, but they still haven't been able to get my levels, you know. Medication levels. Yeah, my medication levels you know, um, done, but they, they said it could take up to a year or so. So we'll see. I'm here. Yeah, keep on rolling with it. Um, <laughs> That's right. I don't really give it much energy. And I, even while it was happening, people were like, I just can't believe you're not worried about it. I can't believe you're not this, you're not that. And I'm just like, why, why give it energy? Yep. Just give it to God and let him handle yep. it. I'll be all right. <laughs> and I'm okay today. You <laughs> yeah. Know, why do I need to jump out there in the future and worry about what may or you know what may happen? I can spin myself into all kinds of circles in that uh, fear of the future and what might happen. Right. I don't. Um, that's something that I have. Like I'm shocked. I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel wonderful. Well, that certainly I'm... wasn't the April I met in the beginning because the <laughs> April I met in the beginning had a crystal ball like mine on my podcast desk here, and she knew what was going to happen in the future. And right. None of it was good. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't worry about the what ifs anymore. You know, because um, you said earlier that you always had this positive attitude, but you know, my experience was in the beginning, uh, this positive attitude didn't pay, didn't play out in what you were telling me about the concerns about what may or what, what the future is going to hold. Right. It was generally, and it's typical among all of us, you know, the, what the future holds is the worst case scenario, and that's the only one I can register. Right. Well, and. Or at least a bad case scenario. Maybe yeah. it ain't the worst, but. Right. And well, also, uh, another thing that's happened recently is my father passed away. Right. And um, we, we actually reconnected. I, without a doubt, no matter what was going on, I sent him a Christmas card every year. It didn't matter if I talked to him through that year or not. I always sent him a card, and I sent him a picture, and I sent him my phone number. I always gave him the ball. The ball was always in his court to make the phone call, and he never did because he went back into drinking. Um, heavily and um, he had a stroke and I found out after his second stroke I thought it was his first one I found out recently it was his second stroke and um, I started helping him with things and um, so he gave me power of attorney so I could help pay his bills and take care of his financial stuff and his medical stuff and call social security and all that yep. and um, uh, so everybody had my phone number 
his apartment complex, yeah. everything. And they called me one day, and uh, the, actually his aide's supervisor, because he had an aide three times a week, his aide's supervisor called me, and she told me um, that, you know, um, the aide went to the, your dad's apartment, um, and uh, they think that he's gone. And I'm like, what? Oh, okay. Are you sure? You know, because my dad's stubborn. <laughs> I'm like, are you sure? Is, there, is the paramedics there yet? And they're like, no, they're on their way. And the police actually called me and told me, yeah, that he had passed away. They said, uh, yeah, your uh, your dad's passed away, and uh, what what do you want to do with the body? Golly, how harsh. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, what do you do with the body? Do you take it to the morgue? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I've never had to deal with a dead body before. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and uh, they they took care of that, and I went a few days later, and I cleaned out his entire apartment and uh, took care of everything, and went I gave a bunch of us. Huh? Went up there and did what you needed to yeah, do. Yeah, I did what I, went up there, did what I needed to do, and was there for a couple of days, and I came home. and Had a whole bunch of spiritual support with you at this point in life because of all these wonderful people that are doing this 12-step lifestyle with you. You know, yes. you have that energy and that backup with you. You know, I walk into the, I walk into situations with the power of a whole bunch of people today, not yeah. all alone. Yep. Exactly, and I made those phone calls, you know, yeah. and um, I was able to get through it, and, and you know, um, I, I it took me, I, it hadn't hit me, you know, like uh, until the day of the uh, service, you know, when we buried him, because yeah. we had him cremated and went up to, uh, Marshall and I went up to um, Cincinnati, and um, that was the, I let... Um, I got in touch with my uh, half-brother, Ben, who's a middle boy. My father had three boys with Karen, and then Ben was the middle child. And uh, so I got in touch with him, and now I have contact with him. So I finally get to talk to my brother again. Re-established connections with people. Yep. And um, so that was really good, you know, that I got to talk and see him and Mm -hmm. and everything. And, um, yeah, so... We just yep, did and that. I admire you for the way you walk through that. I know that's you know that's tough for everybody. There's just no other way around that. No matter what your relationship with your father was, right? Uh, and and I admire the the way you walk through it. You know, we get to show up today in life in a healthy manner. You know, get to. Uh, I didn't have those tools. I didn't know how to do these things at one point in my life. Right, and you know my. Mom asked me at the beginning, well, what if this, what if that? She was doing the jumping in. She was doing it, and I was just like, Mom, if something happens, I will handle it if if and when it does. You know, because I'm just like, what what good does it do to sit here and think about all the negative things that could possibly happen? Create a plan for every contingency. (laughs) When it's probably not going to happen any way you plan it. Right, yep. (laughs) Yeah, it won't happen the way you plan it anyway. And, you know, the, uh, I love all these little things. And the one that strikes me now is that the things we, uh, 90% of the things we fear never come to fruition. That's right. And 100% of the things we fear haven't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. You know, and it's it's like I have so many tools now that I can just, you know, I get on polo and just spill my guts. And if I feel like it, I can keep it or I can delete it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it just helps to get it out there. 
Yep, no. that's a discharging uh, uh, again. Another one. I think I invented this one. Uh, <laughs> discharging that negative energy to the universe through safe people. Right. Safe people are my conduit that I get to use in order to be a little nutty, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't have to worry about being judged about it. And I, you know, and my safe people are my twelve-step community that understand that's what I'm doing, and don't try to rush to the rescue when I'm coming a little unglued. You know, they're there to help, but they're not there right. to rescue. Right. Yes. Exactly. And uh, and you know, and I and I shoot, I use that tool all the time. You know, it's it's a huge tool to be able to discharge the goofiness that I experience as I'm walking this walk. And right. and and yeah, that's and in those kind of situations, it's pure magic. Right. And I I love to be there for the people that are you know around me too it's like because you're a safe conduit for others that's the deal it's like you want to talk to me you know you i'll listen all day long if you want to dispel whatever you need it it is to spill and but i can't tell you what to do i can't fix manage or control you i can't solve your problems i can't solve your problems but you know what i'm an ear and i'm a shoulder yep let's talk once in a while higher power will give you an answer when you're doing that though you know sometimes just like them you know and then that wasn't really the same thing but i can if i thought hard enough about it when I was talking about that line I gave that I said when I said that crystal found you, uh, mm-hmm. once in a while that same kind of words comes out of my mouth to help somebody with one of their problems. Right. You know that conduit of that energy that you know I don't have your answer but I have something here for you and uh, and those kind of things happen in our community yeah. where you you, know, you may have you are able to help somebody if it's even if it's you know yes just listening and being a supportive ear, but sometimes. The higher power gives you something to say that actually is of some use, some some benefit. Usually, um, when I'm thinking about things and things are going on, what pops into my head is music. Hmm. I think about music a lot, um, but every once in a while, something will pop pop in and be like, "Oh, wait, there's an idea." Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then I'll use that. Um, I mean, I've done it a lot with um, people that just say, "Hey, I just need to." talk and spill and i give them okay well here's what i've figured but like my mind is like uh, i don't have it like completely filled with all these thoughts anymore there's no negative like thinking and thought process and i can um i could probably sit and like meditate for hours if i wanted to if i had the time (laughs) you know and not think of anything but just my breathing and everything around me yeah you know another miracle yeah it's a beautiful thing so uh, slowing down that that hamster wheel that is burning out the bearings up in my head with all those racing spinning thoughts that same it's all that same thing it's all that fear of the future yeah and man i'm really grateful for you for taking me through it thank you well you're very welcome (laughs) it was an honor uh I love doing this. I love yeah. I love taking people through the work. I love watching lives transform and getting to play a little part of that part in that. You know, I know it's the tools that do it, but I also know I'm good at at delivering the tools. Yep. Uh, and I've had a lot of practice too. And I sat at the foot of a master that taught me how to do it. So uh, you know, and I think it would be a, a travesty if I didn't give them away. That's the way I really feel about it. I feel some level of responsibility to pass these tools along. You know, and again, you get to give this gift. And, uh, you know, I don't like the word sin, but I'll use it. It's a sin to not uh, pass it along. And, you know, and I, Jordan Peterson says the definition of a sin is just simply it's an archery term where it means to miss the mark. Yeah. And so I'm missing the mark yeah. if I don't 
if I don't hand these tools off and doing it with you and you know and then you're just another example of a person that come into my life and I didn't know how to do it and I didn't know what to do or whatever but I just roll with it I just uh, said you know again assume higher power is setting this all up this is not my doing yeah. I didn't go out and pursue you you know right. I'm not trying to fix manage it and do all that <laughs> and uh and I didn't know how to do it and my very first example was that was Quentin when he was homeless, you know, and some homeless guy come and asked me sponsoring, you know, and I don't know how, I don't have nothing in common with this homeless dude, mm-hmm. but nothing in common with him. You know, sponsor said, well, you just take them through the work. That's uh-huh. your job. Yeah. Just take them through the work. I look and, forward to that. And I did that. And <laughs> this dude is still sober, you know, and making headway in his life. And matter of fact, he's getting ready to, uh, he's been living in a men's recovery center for his like three years of sobriety and uh he was talking on the group meet in the last few days that he's him and another sober guy are getting an apartment so you know it's a long way from a homeless dude you know awesome yeah that's wonderful a homeless alcoholic is you know getting ready to be out on his own two feet you know and uh, i've heard some people knock around like you know about how long some people don't understand not not people in the, in my community about why it takes so long for that you know but it's God's time man it's not who gives a shit what the timeline is you know yeah. uh, it's a it's a trajectory in the right direction we don't get to pick the velocity uh, we get a, we have a little bearing on the trajectory but not the velocity and how fast it happens right it's just um, you don't know what anyone around you like is going through you right. have no idea what they experienced that morning that evening the night before their entire you know? lifetime yeah their entire lifetime so it's like you know treat everybody with love and respect and it's another thing this program has given me because i wanted to be judgmental about everything and why people weren't doing what they you know why you did this and why they did this and why they didn't do that and uh you know that's been lifted yep. give everybody the benefit of the doubt Absolutely. Show up in love and uh, love and tolerance. Can't smile much in ma- behind masks right now, yeah. but <laughs> I yeah. think you can see it in my the eyes. The thing is, yeah, I was gonna say you can tell them for the most part when uh, you can tell when I'm smiling if I have a mask on, yeah. and uh, and I can tell when you are too. I don't need to see that. <laughs> I do like the little bit more in your face, teeth, and smile better than the behind the mask. But uh, we uh, play the cards we're handed at the moment. Right. Do what we can. That's yeah. All we can do. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I love that you came in and told your story, and uh, and we'll have more of these TSSR stories, I'm sure, because they're they're coming down the pipe. And we got there's some other candidates for sure. It's not that you're the only one. Uh, there's some other people that have this uh, are able to yeah. tell the story. And no reason why I say that is certainly not to discount your story, but to say this happens for people, yeah. and these tools are out there. And no matter what you're going through, uh, this this I will say. First, I wanted to say this can help you. This will help you. It can also, but it will if you do the work, if you come and do the deal. And uh, uh, this process transforms people. What do, they, what do you say? Uh, nobody's ever said and wasn't worth it. Yeah. Nobody's <laughs> ever worked these steps and said, I wish I hadn't done that. Right. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and, and most of the time what it is is the wish to, you know, where has this been in my life? You know, there's the regret of not having done it sooner i know i did that you did it when you were supposed to do it. you do you do but you know know, we can't help but like reflect on that that you know the however many years i was doing what i was doing 
And, you know, there's no way, and I know for certainty that I could not have done this stuff in that time. I was too sick. I was too on a different path, and you couldn't have got me on this path back then. Mm-hmm. I had to have some severe consequences before I would uh, before I would take this path. There basically had to be no other, you know, for this dude, there basically had to be no other way except for this one before I would take this one. Right. All other roads were blocked. Um but it does, and it's life-changing, and, uh, man, I just want to get, you know, my whole reason behind this podcast is to get that word out and have stories like yours on here so that people can understand that this can happen for you, too, you know? Right. You don't have to be an addict alcoholic to have huge emotional and huge emotional rearrangements and displacements and rearrangements, uh, so what the big book says, uh, as a result of this. You don't have to be an addict. Right. Uh, you don't have to be a... You know, and this is a deeper dive through the steps. It just is. You know, I, I, when I'm talking on that clubhouse, I, I hesitate to do that because I feel like, you know, it's a little funny to be telling people I got something that's really, really, you know, well, here's what it sounds to me. And I'm projecting. I'm telling them I got something better than what they have. You know, yeah. and it's people that's been through the steps, you know. But this well, is a super effective. Yeah, I know. Yeah, this is. A, so the only thing I can do is demonstrate by talking about my experience and what's happened and, and the way we do this thing. And by, you know, listen to this podcast. You know, you want to hear about what happens when people did you experience? Are you experiencing this level of change in your life in that amount of time? Right. And if you are cool, because I know there's other ways to do this work. That there's there's got I have to believe there's other ways to do this work that are as effective as this one. Mm-hmm. If you do it vanilla through the big book. You're not getting what you get offered here. Right. It's not available in that book. You have to have a teacher that knows all that or has something in their hip pocket, to a bunch of tribal knowledge, and be able to offer this at the level that we do it because we have special things. You know, we, 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 we wring every ounce of juice out of the steps when we do them. Yeah. I had uh, a um, – I told you about when I was seeing a counselor, right, um, and actually, my counselor counselor had said to me at one point, you know, I'm actually shocked that you have not gotten into alcohol or drugs or tried to kill yourself. And I said, really? Most people go I, through what you go through. And doing. I said, well, the only thing I can think of the reason why is that, you know, um, one of my sisters used to take me on drug runs and I saw how bad it did to her. I mean, that was a godsend, I guess. You know, I can't tell you why. But yep. I'm here, yep. so let's go. Yep. <laughs> you know, let's go through this thing, right? Yeah. And now yep. it's like now that I've been through the steps, it's just like even more. Let's go. And like, and just to reiterate once more, you have been taken through the steps in Al-Anon, and on, uh-huh. and you you did receive benefit from that. I yeah. If but I, compared I to this and that, in your own words, what? It's just so much deeper, you know. Um, but I, I I'm. It says in the thing to do the steps with uh, AA or NA first. And I feel like if you're uh, with an, um, a person that is, has an addiction, that Al-Anon helps you much more get a deeper sense if you do that first and then you come to TSSR. Yeah, because you learn about what that disease is. Because it right. doesn't, you don't you learn understand about the disease. what the disease your loved one has. Right. Now and on can offer you that so that you can have a little more compassion about what's going on there and just not being a stubborn shithead. Right. Uh, they yeah, they actually have an affliction here, and that's yeah, what's you, underneath of it. Yeah, you actually understand. You know, it's like, okay, I understand. It's, I don't know how many times I've heard. It's like, why just can't they just stop? Yeah. 
it's like you don't understand. They can't stop. It's a disease. Yeah. Oh, no, it's not. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, and that that is, like you said, it gives you the understanding. And then when I went into did the 12, I'm like, man, this really digs deep. I feel like this huge weight has just been lifted, yeah. you know. It's that backpack thing, man. Your backpack has been... You know, it was sitting at 100% capacity not long ago, and now it's down to 25%, you know, and you get that, that huge big benefit of traveling lighter because you're not carrying so much shit anymore. Yeah, I, th- I still think, you know, I need that little uh, 10, 15% to keep yeah. my feet yeah, so on the ground. Yeah, so you don't ever get it. All, you don't ever get it empty. <laughs> and the thing is, is your life forward will be from this point. You will begin to put more stuff into the trash can again, just in those things that we put in the trash can are not trash. I'm just using that as right. a, uh, as a, like a visual about what I'm carrying around on my mm-hmm. back. But the experiences that I have from this point forward, I will place on my hard drive. Mm-hmm. You know, and every once in a while, I, you know, I will continue to need a defragmentation of that of that drive, or I'm going to continue to need that garbage can cleaned out. Yeah. And I do think subsequent trips, you keep on ending up with more capacity, more free capacity, uh, as you do the work, and you're not filling up the can with stuff that needs to be cleaned up. You well, know, because you clean it up more often now. <laughs> the clean stuff, the good stuff that goes in the can, doesn't really need any uh, treatment. You know, uh, it's the it's just not so good stuff that that needs the the treatment, and right. we're all going to have it. Yes, there's no doubts about it. You know, people die, people we get sick, uh, we have accidents. We, you know, there's just that's life, and and we have to have some way to deal with it. And those things will go in a can, and we continue to do that. Kind of like that, you know. So like maybe you do the first time through the steps is huge because uh, you get like a seventy five percent reduction. You know, but maybe the next time through then I kind of I can look at that and and that parallels with my experience because my sponsor took me through the steps again in my year two. Oh, wow. So like, you know, maybe at that point, you know, I got it down to 15 percent, you know, because it's not a big a bite that second time. around Because I don't have so much to deal with, first off, and I didn't make as much wreckage in between the two steps either, Mm -hmm. you know, between the two trips through the steps. Uh, and you know maybe you know maybe maybe people like Jesus and Buddha and these other Krishna these big these spiritual teachers, these people that came completely into alignment maybe those guys were actually got to a point where their can was empty, <laughs> you know they they had processed everything in their can and that's that achieves you that allows you to achieve that certain level of enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know we got humans walking around the earth today that are that are there, uh, you know, and we just keep on trying to be better versions of ourselves. Uh, day by day so that we can be of value to other, you know, I'll say uh, to God's other children. Yeah. Whatever, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I will say one more thing, too. What April had uh, alluded to earlier about uh, where we say that you should go through and do your steps with NA or AA. Uh, in the TSSR preamble, it says if, you're, if your chief thing is uh, alcoholics or drugs or something like that, you should go through the work using... Uh, like AA is an example, using Alcoholics Anonymous steps so that you can learn about your disease. And that's what she was referring to in case there was any confusion about what that was. And in TSSR, we do recommend that you go through it. Um, to pat my own back a little bit, I have uh, a pretty good teachings in both. So when I take somebody through the AA book, they're still getting a whole lot of TSSR methodology and that kind of thing when I take somebody through. So they're getting a hybrid kind of thing. And that's the way I was taken through with Christopher when he was my sponsor. Well, I got that hybrid type of thing. And, and uh, frankly, I just wasn't, I wasn't ready the first time through to go do that deeper dive on my family system too much. You know I mean? We touched on it and everything, but my second time through, 
that's where we got into some more of that underlying stuff that I wasn't prepared to talk about or look at. I couldn't see it. I couldn't look at it the first time. I had too much big piles of poop in my bucket to <laughs> deal with some of that stuff. Yeah. So uh, it's a fantastic program, man, and everybody just keeps on getting better because of it. That's awesome. Well, I think we probably, I feel pretty complete today. Do you? Yeah, I do. Um, I just say that, you know. Yeah, so I'll offer you a concluding, yeah. a concluding statement, <laughs> a concluder. I, I know my past is not the worst, but the fact that I can leave it there, you know, um, and working these steps if anybody has something similar, uh, I believe you can too. You know, just, <laughs> I constantly say, you know, the most important moment in my life is this moment right now. You know, I don't really worry too much about what I got to do tomorrow until I get there. Because you don't know if tomorrow will ever come. So enjoying what you have at this very moment is the best place to be, you yeah. know. And um, you can get there, too. I mean, I, I never thought I'd be where I'm at. And uh, thanks to my husband for taking this step to get to here, to get to here, to yeah, get to here. You wonder how to, God aligns all that stuff. You that's know, right. That path is really cool to me. You know, and the fact that, uh, you know, we get stronger together every day. And um, it's a beautiful thing. So yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate you asking me to, to come here thank yeah. you well i'm really glad you came uh you said something that pinged me and i'll use it for my concluder um so i like these visuals i don't know the trash cans and the other things like that and that holding a big book behind my back saying i wish everybody had this program uh those work for me uh and they seem to work for other people when i describe you know because i can see the impact that i got my point across and so like the game of leapfrog right um so, like, every time that I started taking some steps, making some steps forward, what would happen is my past would leapfrog and stand in front of me, you know, and there I am blocked again, and it's my past, you know, and it's it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't have the value that I assigned to it, but I would leapfrog and get in front of me and block my every chance to move forward in life and to get some other kind of traction into some kind of healthy lifestyle. And uh, these 12 steps allow me to process the past and put it where it belongs, back there behind me. And it doesn't get to leapfrog in front of me anymore. I know it's still there, and I get to get it out and talk about it when it's a benefit to somebody else. You know, many times when I'm working with some new guy, I'm getting my past out and showing it to him mm -hmm. so that he can see that I was once there too. Uh, but otherwise, it doesn't carry the weight it used to, and it doesn't get the opportunity to leapfrog and block my progress forward. Uh, it's a huge benefit of what 12 Steps did for this dude, and I see it do it for others too. Uh, if you're interested in any of this, folks, man, it's, it's real. It is real. And uh, I just keep on banging this 12-step uh, drum and stand on top of a mountain shouting it out that uh, if you're hurting or you feel blocked, you feel stuck, you're in a rut, uh, these tools will help you, whether if, you, you know, whether if you're ready to do them or whatever blocks you've got set up that's telling you that, that they won't work for me. Uh, I can't do anything about that other than stand here and try and convince you that they will. And uh, as April said a minute ago, something I'm very fond of saying is that I've still yet to find anybody that worked these 12 steps and says, I wish I hadn't have done that. So 
If you're not enjoying your recovery, it's your own damn fault. And thank everyone out there for allowing April and I to participate in our recoveries in this manner today. Peace out.